Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Beautiful morning. Trust you're encouraged today. Welcome to uh, Union Chapel in our series on life in 3D. We are talking about issues of life that are common to all of us and hopefully finding some meaningful instruction along the way. Today, I want to talk about delay. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever felt like things were just waiting too long? That, that breakthrough, that opportunity, that answer to prayer, that dream, that goal is just taking too long. Anyone ever felt that way? And it's just that we're dragging along here. It's true for all of us that we'll find these seasons from time to time. And today I want to look at an important story from the Old Testament that will give us some instruction around this subject that I hope will be meaningful. We're going to look at Genesis chapters 15 and 16. I'm going to read the first six verses of each of those two chapters. And this, of course, is the story of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and how they were managing the, 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 the problem of delay. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, we'll project these words on the screen. It's our custom at Union Chapel to stand as we hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please stand? I'll begin at chapter 15, verse 1. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abraham, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, let's just stop. How many women in the room are sensing trouble right now? Do you feel like maybe, mm, well, this may not work out. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. Gentlemen, anyone here feeling just a little hesitation at all? Just a little bit? Anybody have the impulse to go, Abraham, dude, don't. Don't do that. That's not going to work out. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Really? Shazam. Then Sarah said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. We tried to warn you, dude. What were you thinking? This isn't going to work out. I put my slave in your arms and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Verse 6, your slave is in your own hands, Abraham said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. May God uh, give us wisdom, insight into this important story. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Well, the promise was there, wasn't it? We read it in chapter 15. The covenant promise of God to Abraham and Sarah that from their loins, from a natural 
experience of conception and, and gestation and birth, that they would birth a son, the two of them, into the world. He would be a son of promise. And God had told Abraham, look, go out and count, try to count the numbers of stars in the sky. So will your descendants be. I mean, there's a great nation that's going to issue forth from you. They had the promise of God. But they became just like many of us. The Bible says that they had been in the land of Canaan, this land of promise, where God had led them. They'd been there 10 years. And they were getting older. Abraham's in his mid-80s. Sarah is approaching 80 years old at this point. And, and, and time is running out. And they lose their patience. Now, we identify with this in part, don't we? When we have heard a voice, a word from God, we've seen a dream, we've, we've experienced a vision where we believe God has promised us a certain thing, called us to a certain thing, and that promise, that dream has remained unfulfilled. The, the writer of the Proverbs probably says it right when he says, hope delayed makes the heart sick. You agree with that? Hope delayed makes the heart sick. And so Abram and Sarah are experiencing this. But God has a word for us today. And here's the word. When we begin to lose confidence, individually, personally, and corporately, in whether or not God is going to fulfill His promise to you, that that dream is going to come true, when we begin to wonder and worry and lose patience that God is actually going to do it, what happens to us is we become tempted to lay aside one of the fundamental promises of all the Word of God and the truth of God's Word to us. And that promise is to wait on God. Wait on the Lord. Now, this is hard for us because we're impatient. We're human beings. We live in our humanity. We like what we like. We like it right now. We don't want to wait. We don't want to have to work. We don't want to have to contend for it. We don't want to be patient. We want it, and we want it now. We live, we live in a, a, the land of McChurch, a spiritual world of McChurch. We, we, we see and expect service from God just like a drive-up window at a fast food restaurant. We pull up. We've got an appointment in 10 minutes. We pull up to the fast food church, and we say, look, I, I want salvation. I want spiritual power, full maturity, a working knowledge of the Scripture, a fully developed prayer life, and the fruit of patience. And right now, would you snap it up, please? And we, we, we go through life like that, expecting everything we want to need right now. But that is misunderstanding and misapprehending, miscomprehending a great truth of life in the faith, and that is the work of God in process. Listen to me now. God works with us over the long haul. It's a long-term deal. And God, God is patient this way. And He is willing to take us step by step, inch by inch, mile, year after year, developing us and shaping us. You've heard me talk about Romans 8.28. You hear me quote it from time to time. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. Even bad things that happen to good people, God has promised to take those things and work good in our lives as a result. And it's a great promise, and it gives us great courage and hope. Most of us don't know verse 29 of Romans chapter 8. After he says he works everything together for good, then the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, that's you and me, he knew us, he predestined to become conformed 
to the image of his dear son. And so here's what we learn. Here's the fuller context that God is working everything in our lives for good for the ultimate purpose of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. His primary plan, his ultimate plan for you and for me is to make us more like Jesus. Now we think, we tend to see the world as I climbed that mountain, I reached my goal, I saw that dream, I fulfilled my dream, I had a vision and that was fulfilled. And we think arriving is the whole purpose of God, but that's not, that's not the purpose of God. What we often define as the means, the steps to get there, is actually God's finished purpose. God's not nearly so interested in you climbing to the top of the mountain as he is you taking the appropriate steps to get there. Because in those steps, we find the development of our character, the development of our personhood. And God will not promote you, will not see you to some fulfilled dream until he knows you are properly ready as a person, at the level of your character, at your maturity, until you're ready for that fulfillment. Now, these are hard things to hear for us impatient folks. This is difficult for us in a culture that expects things right now. But this is the work of God in process. His priority is to work in us, first and foremost, while we are tempted to look at what's going on around us. And so God is at work. Now, let me just backtrack for a moment. When I was talking about McChurch, you know, and kind of uh, tongue-in-cheek with that, one of the things that we expect to have is a working knowledge of the Scripture. I want to submit to you that one of the real absent places, one of the real voids in Christian experience, not just in America, but around the world, is an understanding of the Scripture. Christian people, Christian people even in America, church people like you and me, we don't read the Bible enough. We don't read, some, sometimes folks don't read the Bible at all. And you hear folks saying, well, I don't see the relevance of it in my life, or I don't have time in my schedule, or I'm not sure it's credible, or I, I just don't care. I just, I'm just, just not there. But I think you can boil down all of these reasons why people don't read the Bible to this one underlying reason. People don't read the Bible because they don't understand it. And the lack of understanding is actually understandable. When you think about it, the Bible is 66 unique and distinct books compiled over a period of about 1,500 years, written by 40-plus authors in three different languages that are no longer spoken. And so we have on three different continents. And so we have this expanse of variety and complexity that, that comes into making, making the Bible the Word of God. And so it takes some work and it takes some time and it takes, takes a little effort to actually understand the Bible. And people just don't read the Bible because they don't understand it. I don't even know where to start. And when I start, I'm not sure what I'm reading. And I don't know the context. And I don't know the history. And so people just give up. And because this void is created around the Word of God, I am very excited to announce that we are going to start a new program. We're calling it Growing You. Growing You. And it's going to begin in three weeks on October 25th. On Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock and at this hour, 11.15, over in the sanctuary, we are going to do adult Bible study. And here's one of the great things that modern technology is affording us. You can, you can listen to world-class scholars, teachers, preacher teachers, unpacking the truth of God's Word on video. 
And you can download that. You can have it. And what we're going to do is we're going we're to select world class, the best people alive to teach the scripture to us. We're going to begin in three weeks with uh, a pastor who pastors Calvary Church in Al- Albuquerque, New Mexico, named Skip Heisig. And Skip is a fabulous Bible teacher. He's a pastor. He's a preacher teacher. He, and, and this video was shot in his church. There's a couple of thousand people there. I love it. There are teenagers sitting on the floor, you know, in the front row. And, and he just he goes through the Bible and he's teaching. So what we're going to do beginning October 25th is we're going to feature Skip Heisig. And for four weeks, we're going to study the book of Genesis. 30,000-foot overview of the book of Genesis. And again, beginning to develop a working knowledge of the Scripture. I'm excited about it because it's going to be such important content. But I'm also excited because there will be people able to circle up. You know, there will be 30 or 40 minutes of teaching. And then they'll have discussion questions and you can talk it over. And you'll, you'll be learning as you go. And so we'll, we'll work a, a while in the Old Testament. And then we'll go over to the New Testament and come back. And over the course of months and years, we'll actually go through the whole Bible and let the best teachers in the world teach us the Scripture. I'm very excited about that. Now listen very carefully. The mission of God, the mission of God simply will not advance apart from the Word of God and a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to go into all the world and make disciples. And the best way to make disciples is to make people aware of the truth of God, the Word of God, and to become dependent and ever more dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to just help develop that process in all of us as best we can. Listen, if I wasn't over here preaching at 10 and 11 15, I'd tell you where I'd be. I'd be over there in the Bible study because it's really going to be uh, excellent and fantastic. And I know you'll get excited about it as well. So that begins in three weeks on October 25th at 10 o'clock and 11 15. So you can come for the Bible study. Then you can come for worship, vice versa. Uh, you can hang around and serve. It's, it just creates variety for everyone. And I hope that you will be part of growing you. It, it should be great. Now back to your outline. Just two brief points today, just to give us perspective on this whole subject of delay. The first is this. When there is delay, we must remember that God is at work. God is at work preparing you. He's preparing you. Shaping us at the level of our character. Equipping us and getting us ready. We talked about Romans 8, 28 and 29. This is the work of God in our lives. Joseph is an Old Testament character. You may remember he was a big dreamer. As a boy, he had dreams, literally dreams. He would sleep and see dreams, God-given dreams. And he saw himself exalted. He had a big family, lots of brothers. And he saw himself elevated in status. And that someday his family, including his brothers, would actually bow down to him. Now, Joseph, he was a special boy. He was, he was bright. He was handsome. He was gifted. His father loved him the best. You know, his brothers resented him for it. And his brothers so resented him that they sold him into slavery, betrayed him, sold him into slavery, told their father that he was dead. He finds himself as a slave in Egypt, and he's, he's in a house where he's falsely accused. And because of that false accusation, he's thrown into prison. Now, imagine this sequence of events, betrayed, forgotten, be, uh, thrown into prison, falsely accused, and years pass. We, we think something in the neighborhood of 15 to 17 years pass 
in the life of Joseph from the time he had a dream until God sees it realized in his life. But those years that he's in prison, we know he's in prison at least two years. Think about this. This is a guy with a big dream. He's a big dreamer. He, he sees great things for himself and his future. He believes that this is God's destiny for his life. And yet he's in a prison and he's forsaken and he's forgotten. And as far as he knows, no one even knows he's alive. And there he is. Can you imagine him in the, in the middle of the night, the darkness of that experience? And if the, the thought of that dream would cross his mind, you can imagine him going, that's, that's crazy. There's absolutely no way in the world that that dream will ever come true. If he clung to it at all, it had to be just by a fingernail, and that's all. And yet Joseph maintained his integrity. Now watch this. He maintained his devotion to God and his heart to God, his life of purity, his willingness to be used by God no matter where he was, and God used him in every one of these sequences. And so here was a person who maintained his integrity. He maintained his faith and his devotion to God. And he trusted God somehow. He couldn't imagine how the dream would ever come to fruition. But he, he stayed in there. And he waited on God. And sure enough, in God's best time, God elevated him. He became the prime minister of Egypt, arguably the most powerful position in the world. And one day, in this lofted position, he stood in front of an audience. And there before him was his family. And just as he had dreamed as a boy... Here was his family, his brothers, his family, his parents bowing down before him. It's an, it's an amazing story, but an indication of what is possible when people who have received a promise from God are willing to embrace the discipline and the submission necessary to wait on God's timing. My best friend in the world is Reverend Dr. Mark Beeson. Mark is a United Methodist pastor, and we've known each other for 35 years Mark was a student at Ball State University many, many years ago, and the district superintendent appointed him to Kamak, United Methodist Church, a little town of Kamak you're maybe familiar with. And Kamak has a little Methodist church there, and at the time had a little trickle of people. And Mark, he's a firebrand for God. I mean, he's, he's a bright light. And so he went to Kamak as a 19-year-old student, and he started preaching Jesus. And Kamak went from 12, 15 people to about 90 people. In a couple of years. I mean, it was, it was something. Then he finished college and started seminary, and he was appointed to Farmland United Methodist Church, and that's just outside of town here, a little, little uh, uh, community. And the Methodist Church there had 40 or 50 people in it, and about two years later, it had 190 people, almost 200 people attending that church. You say, well, big deal. So I'll tell you what, you go out to Farmland, get yourself a little church, start preaching, and see how long it takes you to get to 200 I'm just saying it's very impressive. And, and Mark, in his heart at that time, and he conferred with me, and I said, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great idea. That must be God. He said, I want to plant a church. I want to start a, a brand new church. So he went to denominational officials and shared his vision with them, his dream, and the official said, no. And Mark said, why not? <laughs> they said, no, not now, no. And so Mark waited. Now, I have to confess to you that I was not particularly helpful to Mark with regard to waiting and being patient and all that because I, I felt anxiety around it too. But to Mark's credit, he was wise and he waited and he trusted God. He believed that, that, that God had placed people over him in, in divine order and that he 
could trust that God would work through their opinion and their, their wisdom. And so he waited and he waited and years went by. And every year, Mark would say, I'd like to, I want to plant a church. And he was very direct, very passionate about it. I'm ready. I want to. Here I am. Let me plant a church. And the powers that be would say, no. And it was puzzling, puzzling to all of us who knew Mark. But Mark waited. And over the course of those years, I don't know if Mark can articulate this even to this day, but listen, what I've just been talking about was what was happening. He was patient, and so God began to work in him the kind of stuff he needed in order to be successful. And so his attitude about where he would plant a church changed. His perspective on the strategies to plant that church had changed. And finally, the powers that be said, okay, you can do it. Here's, here's our yes. And Mark took off to Clay County up in the South Bend Elkhart area here in Indiana And this was 27 years ago, and he planted a church called Granger Community Church. And today, it is the third largest, by attendance, the third largest Methodist church in the United States. It is an amazing, it is an amazing accomplishment. And everyone's proud of Mark, and it's just just been so great. So, so great. But watch, the principle was in place. The thing that was in his heart and most passionate to do, he couldn't do according to his timeline. But he waited, and he waited patiently on the Lord. And there's something to be learned there. God is at work, and God will get you ready. When our two sons were ready to get a driver's license, you you remember when you were 16 and ready to drive, get a legal driver's license? Wasn't that an exciting time? I mean, for most people, this is just, you just can't wait. It's just the best thing ever. And my boys were no different. And I told them that you have to do two things. One, you have to pass all of the requirements that that the law and school requires, you know, pass driver's ed and all that. And then the final test is your old dad's test. What do you mean by that? I said, well, the old dad's test is I have to get in the passenger seat of the car with you and we drive for about 20 miles and we'll go down the country road and we'll go through town and we'll go out on the interstate and then we'll come back home. And at the end of that, I'll tell you if you're ready to get your driver's license. They said, how, how, how will you know? And I said, I will know if you haven't scared the stink out of me at some point during those 20 miles. <laughs> so our oldest, Aaron, he got in the car one day and I got in with him and we took off and we made the loop and we got back and I said, he said, how did I do? And I said, you passed. You didn't, you didn't scare me once. You did great. You did well. I think you're ready. And so he, you know, the next day we go to the license branch and he's happy to go. Of course, then at 16, he goes out and drives like every 16-year-old does. <laughs> it's stressful for parents. When our younger son was ready, he, he thought that he, that he would follow in his brother's footsteps. And so we took the dad's test and we went out the first day and, and finished our 20-mile loop and got back home. And he said, how'd I do? Did I pass? And I said, no, you didn't pass. I said, you scared me, you scared me twice and really scared me once. You're not ready. Oh, you got to be kidding. He's just fuss and complain and moan and gripe about that. And I said, now next month, after you practice a little while, we'll go out again. The next month we went out, we got back home. He said, how did I do? Did I pass? And I said, you didn't pass. You scared me twice. Again. Third month. Isaac went six months until he passed old dad's test. Because you can't scare old dad and pass your driving test. Now listen to me. Some of the greatest damage 
in the kingdom of God has come from people who have forged out ahead of God and presumed to know or presumed to be ready for the task that they thought God was calling them to. Waiting is hard. It is really hard. But we must wait until God finds us ready. God is at work preparing you. And second of all, God is at work preparing circumstances. You want to write that down in your outline. Preparing circumstances. There's an interesting, there's an interesting passage of Scripture in Daniel chapter 10. And it, it, it portrays Daniel, who is a great character of the Old Testament. And he's been in prayer. And it's an urgent prayer. I need an answer to this prayer right now. God, this is a big deal. It's urgent. And so he prays, and now three weeks have passed before he gets an answer. 21 days have passed. And an archangel of God comes to Daniel and says, I got the answer to your prayer. And Daniel, you know, the, 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 the passage implies that Daniel is impatient. He goes like, where have you been? I've been praying for three weeks. I need an answer now. Not three weeks later. We're, so what's, what's with the delay? And the angel says, chill out, dude. I, I actually left heaven on my way with the answer the first day you prayed. But he said, I got hung up in a struggle in the heavenlies with what, Daniel, with what this angel recorded in Daniel 10 describes as the prince of Persia. Now, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thing. There are two possible meanings to this, uh, to this prince of Persia with rich implication. One possible meaning is that there is actually a spiritual entity in the heavenlies, unseen, that is like a principality or a power or a force of wickedness, some kind of dark spiritual force that the archangel has to contend with. There's a battle going on, and until the angel sufficiently subdues that power or overcomes that power, the angel isn't free to deliver the message. Now, that's one explanation. Now, I don't know how that fits into your worldview. It fits fine into my worldview. I happen to believe that there's an unseen world that is filled with all kinds of spirits, and some are good and not so good, and that these spirits, that there's, that there's warfare, there's, there's a struggle in the spiritual realm, and that our prayers affect that. And that fits into my worldview, and I'm okay with that. Now, a second interpretation of this event is that there was a, a Persian king at the time named Cyrus, and he's an earthly king, a natural king. And Daniel's request, this answer to prayer, is directly related to the attitude and the heart condition of this king. And so we could surmise that this means that things had to be prepared in the heart of the king, this, this Persian prince, as it were, so that he would be ready when the request came to him to give the answer that God needed him to give, so that his heart, his mind, his attitude had to be adjusted so that whether it's spiritual or natural or both, what we learn is that there's preparation work that needs to happen circumstantially in order for you to have the open doors and the opportunities and the resources you need to accomplish your dream. And so what God is saying when there's delay is it may not be that, that, that you're at fault or anyone's at fault. It's just that there are circumstances that need to be ordered and aligned in order for your vision to be realized. And so we learn from this. We learn from this that in spite of how we feel or how impatient or how anxious we become in the midst of trying to pursue our dream, it is important to discern what is going on and to be patiently waiting on God. Wait 
on the Lord. Failing to discern this, and this is what happens to human beings all the time. Listen to me carefully. This is the application of this whole message. We conclude, if we haven't gotten the answer, haven't gotten the breakthrough, the door hasn't been opened, we conclude, well, God, who asked me to do this to begin with, God must be waiting on me. He must be waiting on me. And so I must be the hindrance. I need to do something. I need to take action. I need to take a step. This is precisely what happened in our text today in Genesis 15 and 16, where Abraham and Sarah, who have received the covenant promise of God, listen, you're going to have a boy, and through him, a nation will be born. They knew the promise of God, but they ran out of patience, and so they took matters into their own hands. Now, some of you who know the boy that was born to Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, his name was Ishmael. And Ishmael became the father of all of the Arab peoples in the world. And of course, the son of promise was born. His name was Isaac. And let me ask you a question today. Are the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Isaac, do they get along? You can get on your smartphone right now and just ask for death to Israel, and you can see people, Arab peoples, the sons of Ishmael, somewhere in the world today in an Arab country, shouting, death to Israel, death to Israel, death to Israel. Today, this is 4,000 years later. The negative consequences that have occurred because two people who had a promise from Almighty God wouldn't wait, it's hard to imagine. Now, how does that play out in our lives? Well, one, one symptom of this is the reality of the tendency people have in our culture to move to a level of artificial prosperity. The whole notion of delayed gratification doesn't work very well in our culture. I want it, and I want it now. And so I won't wait. I've got a credit card. I'll just, I'll just go charge it and get it. And it's, it's, not a good, it's not a good thing. We have people who have made decisions. Homes have been built. Cars have been purchased. Debts are incurred. Churches, for example, are built with massive indebtedness. And it's, it's just improper because people are not patient enough to wait on God's best time for these kinds of moments. When our boys were growing up, I tried to teach them delayed gratification. One day I set them down and I had two chocolate chip cookies and I set them in front of them and I said, now you can each eat a chocolate chip cookie apiece. You can have it right now. Or if you wait one hour... I'll give you two more. So if you wait an hour, you can have three cookies, but if you eat it right now, you can just have one. Well, our youngest, Isaac, who is a happy-go-lucky guy and just loves the moment, and he's just thrilled about life, he grabbed his cookie, started eating it right away. I said, if you wait an hour, you can have two more. He goes, whatever. And he just <laughs> ate the cookie. I looked at Aaron, and he, he's thinking about it, and he looks at me, and he says, uh, he said, so if I wait an hour, I can have that cookie and two more. I said, that's right. And he said, he said, I won't wait for two, but he said, I'll wait for four. <laughs> I'll wait an hour if you give me four more. So I had to negotiate with them. I negotiated it down to three. <laughs> if you wait an hour, I'll give you this one plus three more. He waited an hour and came in and said, where are my four cookies? And I said, they're right here. Isn't it? It's a good lesson. You know, delayed gratification is a great virtue. Listen to me. A great virtue. 
It is, it is an indication of the strength of one's character when you can wait until the proper time. Financially, it's when you wait until you can afford a thing before you purchase a thing. Here's a, here's a modern day translation of the phrase, wait on the Lord. If you have trouble with your credit cards, wait on the Lord to you means tear up your credit cards, cut them up. If you can't pay your credit card bill on a monthly basis, you can't pay the balance every month, then you don't know how to use your credit cards. And you should get rid of them. You should go to a cash basis. Well, that's another. That's another. Ishmael's are built. Ishmael's are built because someone wouldn't wait. Marriages are engaged in against the better judgment of counsel and of parents. Young women in the room, please listen. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It's just an example. But if you hear someone say, you know, that, that guy, he doesn't treat you well. He doesn't treat you well. You shouldn't marry him. And your friends are saying, please don't marry him. And your parents go, I don't like him. And your pastor goes, this guy's not right for you. But inside of you, you're going, look, I, I just feel it's right. I love him. I know he's got his problems, but I can change him. And, you know, I can, I can whip him into shape. And listen, no. Just remember the Ishmaels you create today, they're going to be here next year and the year after that. Today in our culture, when people experience trouble in their marriage, the first instinct is to get a divorce. And the reason for that is because it's easier to get a divorce sometimes than it is to stay and wrestle with the issues and, and reestablish trust. And, but that's going to take a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of pain, and it's going to be hard to get back to that level of love and trust that you need. And so you hear people say things like, I'm tired of waiting for this thing to work out. You know, I, I just want to get on with my life, which, of course, is code for, I'm tired of this one. I don't want to make the effort and, and use the time to re recover it. And besides, I've already got my eye on, on another person. Do you feel me just pushing on you just a little bit? It is a great and powerful virtue in life when you establish a discipline that waits on the Lord for His best plan in His best time. Because God is faithful. Whatever God has told you, he'll fulfill that. He'll actually do it. But you have to do it on his time. Timing's everything. <laughs> Timing's everything in life. And so there's the message. Let me give you one more verse, and then we're going we're gonna to share a meal. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, 29 to 31. We'll put it on the screen so you can really appreciate it. It says, he gives power to the faint, and to them that have no mighty increases strength. Even the youth shall faint, be weary. The young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Are you encouraged? They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now that's the promise, friends. If God has spoken to you and he's put a dream in your heart, a vision in your mind for your future, you wait on him and you trust in him and he will see you through it. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So be encouraged. Amen?